Hey, good morning, LCM. Today is the final day of March, the 31st of 2019. If you heard the words that came forth today during our worship time, it should make you come alive on the inside. It should make you sit up and take notice of what the Lord is trying to do here in our midst. But there are so many times when we need to be encouraged, we need to be uplifted, we need God's presence to be around us and with us. We're so desperate for the fellowship and the relationship. It's a beautiful thing. When God begins in our worship time and says that he will not put up with our arrogance any longer, that should make you tremble inside. I'm trying to play a keyboard and sing, and I'm going, Lord, are you speaking to me? See, the right way to handle what's going to go on today is that you need to get ready to make war. That, that the enemies that you have fought with, it's time for those enemies to be put under your feet. Not to continue to play with them. What we're going to do today is we're going to go after it. And the right way for us to receive any word given from anyone is to first examine our own heart. That double-edged sword of the word of God, of the spirit of God, is supposed to cut us first before we even think about applying it to anyone else. If you had thoughts during the worship that the word was good or the prophecies were good, but you were wondering who that was about, then you missed the point of the prophecy. Was the prophecy about you? Absolutely, it was about you. Absolutely, it was about me. And that's what we're going to do today. I have Justin Linton with me. This is kind of like a a before and after. An an ugly, old, busted, and the new, uh, strong version of it. The The new young hotness right there. So we are going to come, but we have, we have a word from the heavens for you today. We are, we are going to present to you what we feel like God has, has said to us. And I, you need to get ready. Whatever you were distracted by before you came in, whatever you thought that today would be about in your own schedule, I encourage you to set those things aside because the Lord has a word for you today. And that word is going to put you on the right track if you will let it. And there it sounds like from the prophecies from our worship time that there will be a clear line of demarcation. There will be a clear line for those who will yield to what God is saying and for those who do not yield. Our heart for you today is that everyone in this room yields to the word of God. Amen. So, Pastor, if we can, we want to do something. We want to pray. Amen. Let's do that. That's we want to pray idea. and uh, prepare our hearts for this word, all of us. Y'all going to pray with me? Yes. Pray with me. Not, not listen to me. Pray with me. Father, we love you. God, we thank you, Lord, that your word has has come forth, Lord. And Lord, when your word comes forth, God, it it doesn't come back to you void. It produces what you intended it for. So, Father God, as we receive this word, Lord, Lord, we we say right now, Lord, let this word be for us. For every person standing and every person sitting, Lord, let this word be for us. And God, we pray, Lord. God, we pray, Lord, that we would not leave this place unchanged. Lord, I pray, God, that we would not leave this place unchanged. Father, we are expected that you would move, Lord. And God, we expect that you expect us to move, Lord. We have something to do in this. We have a role to play in this. So, God, we just, we exalt your name in this moment, Father. And we say, let your, let your word go forth today in power, Lord, and let it accomplish what you intended it for. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Turn with us to Genesis 11. We're going to start off our time today by talking about Father Abraham which is always a great place to start. And actually, we're going to start today by talking about Father Abraham's father. We're going to start with Terah. In Genesis chapter 11 and verse 26, I want you to start there. Say there when you're there. Quick. We've gotten uh, very clever lately and used a lot of different words, and I think it's fantastic when you get there in the Scripture. But I want to remind you of a few basics of why we say that as a church. 
It's not just so that you can find the place in your Bible because we encourage each of you to have your own Bible and be turning with us in your word, your own sword that you can become very familiar with. The idea of saying there is not only did you find it on the page, but that your heart is there ready to receive from the Lord. So when you get to Genesis 11:26 and, and your heart is ready, say there. After Terah had lived 70 years, somebody say 70 years, he became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. This is the account of Terah. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran became the father of Lot. Starts establishing a lot of the stories that are to come right after this. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram. And together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. See, they were supposed to go in a certain direction. They were supposed to make it to a certain place, and they never quite made it there. They got stuck somewhere along the journey. Today, they got some people in this room that are stuck along your journey. And what we're going to do is we're going to help you to get to where you're supposed to go. Because here we see what you don't see in this passage is that Terah was a well-known idol maker. Some of the Jewish writings really, really uh, talk about this. He was a a prince, a leader of the secular kingdom that he was a part of. You may remember the name Nimrod. Nimrod was a, was a, was a great, a mighty hunter in the, in the word at the beginning of chapter 11. And what you find out is that Terah, father of Abram, was a, uh, a prince in the court of Nimrod. Was a well-known and well-respected leader there. And he was also an idol maker. So Abram... Abraham was in line to be what? What was his father's business? It was idol making. Now look, let's, let's be honest. It's not just idol making. It was idol promoting. Because when you can promote idols, what happens? You make more money. So he was not just an idol maker. He was an idol promoter. Trying to make sure that everyone around him, he was an evangelist for idolatry. And what we have is Abram being in line to do the work of his father. Instead, look at the very next verse. And uh, here we have that Terah lived 205 years and then he died in the place that he was supposed to move past. Look at the beginning of chapter 12. Come on, look in chapter 12. Abram is being called out of his father's house, out of his father's business. In chapter 12, verse 1, it says, The Lord has said to Abraham, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land that I will show you. Now, now, I don't want to skip past something that Pastor Wade just hit on in this. Is that they may have left. They may have left a certain point, but it didn't make it to his destination. And so when God calls us to do a work, when he calls us to salvation, his salvation has to be complete in our lives. He doesn't call us to stop halfway. And this is what Abraham is doing. Abraham is being called out of the halfway to the completion of what God is trying to do for his family. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Abraham was called out of his father's business to be about his father's business. (laughs) And Abraham did it at every turn. Amen. Think about Genesis 18, 19 in context of this. Being called out of his natural father's business to be a part of the heavenly father's business. For I have chosen him says the Lord, so that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord, to shun idolatry by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. 
What did he speak about him? Justin just read it in Genesis 12. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to do so many things that the entirety of the world is going to be blessed. But that had to be because he came out of his natural lineage, the natural part of what he was, and got into something heavenly here in this passage. And, and another thing about that, uh, we, we had the benefit of having a, a true Israelite uh, here, here with us, my brother Ohat. And uh, a couple weeks ago, we started talking about Genesis 18, 19. And when it says there, for I have chosen him, in the Hebrew, it's a little bit more visit, uh, vivid. Uh, it's more like saying that God has installed something or is installing something in the Abraham that he's going to turn and install into his generations. And uh, I don't know about y'all, but I can speak for the for the single guy's house. Uh, the Lord is continuously working things into us and out of us. He's installing this character because you know what? We're going to go and start families. Some of us pretty soon. <laughs> and we have to have what God is working into us. Being instilled into our families. And so this isn't something that we should just, just kind of skirt past. Something that we could, we could just kind of, uh, pass by and say, oh, it's cute. No, we have to see it in our lives. What is God installing in you? What is He working into you that your generations are gonna need? Because it's very important. For Abraham, with every act of obedience, with every deed that showed that he trusted God, God Himself was working something into Abraham that would be instilled into his generations. Now this was, this was pointing to something. Uh, from Genesis 3 all the way to Revelation, uh, God speaks to us what's going to happen from the beginning. Yeah, he does. Much like in our lives, when God has said that you have been saved, he's still in the process of saving you. It's an ongoing uh, part of it. But if you stay faithful, he's going to bring that to pass. And we see in Galatians 3.16, you don't have to turn there. It says, the promises that were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. So Galatians is kind of explaining what this is saying. The scripture does not say and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. So from the very beginning, Abraham was about the father's business. And we pointed to, to Jesus who would later come, who would be about the father's business. Yeah. Turn to Luke chapter two. Let's talk about that exact topic. Yeah. Luke chapter two and verse 49. Very, very familiar passage to you. If you're the NIV, this is how it reads. Jesus says, why are you searching? Why were you searching for me? And let's put this in context. He was 12 years old. His parents had gone to Jerusalem. They left Jerusalem, had to come back. The 12-year-old was away from his parents for three days solid. As they approach him, as they begin to speak to him, come on, parents. We, we lost Gabe one time when he was four years old for like 45 minutes. Police were called. Neighbors were in a full-on search. Every door in our neighborhood got, got knocked on. I mean, we were in full, full force for like 45 minutes. Three days. And what is Jesus' response to them? Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? That's what the NIV says. That's, that's, a, that's an accurate translation, but I want, I want to look further. In the New King James, it says... Didn't you know, did you not know that I must be about my father's business? In the complete Jewish Bible, it says, didn't you know that I had to be concerning myself with my father's affairs? Come on, didn't he, didn't he say in here, I had to be about my father's business? The point was not only being in the house of God. Come on now, you know we got some folks in here right now. You're in the house of God, but you're not about the father's business. You're in the father's house, but your life isn't consumed with the father's business. 
Maybe it's your own business. Maybe it's the one that you plan to inherit in the natural realm. But there's something to be said about being about the Father's business. Did you hear how incredulous Jesus' response was? What did you expect of me? Where else would I be? What else would I be doing? The nature that is required of each of us is that we have to be so obviously about our Father's business that there's nothing else. Why would you expect me not to be here? Why would you expect me not to be doing exactly what God has commanded me? Here we see Jesus has the exact same type of encounter that Abraham does. He has to put down the things in the earthly lineage that he might bring forth something that is heavenly. Are you leaving yourself any options today? Isn't Jesus' question really like, what other option did I have? What option do I have but to follow exactly what my Father is telling me to do? We see this, obviously, as Christ matures. We see as as he gets older. He says, I don't do anything unless I see my Father doing it. I don't make judgments unless I hear what my Father is doing. But what we have here is, is Jesus is saying there are no other options. Are there options in your walk today? Do you leave just a little wiggle room in a few places? I mean, you're pretty much dedicated to the Lord. But you have those areas of your life that are still tucked away under lock and key. And you don't particularly intend for the Lord to do anything with it. Look, I've given the Lord like, you know, 90% of my life, haven't I? Jesus left no other options. Are you leaving options today? What areas in your life are you leaving options? Let's consider what it looks like when you leave yourself options. Yeah. Uh, and we're, we're going to go to 1 Samuel 15, so y'all go ahead and turn there. But uh, something comes to mind. Uh, this weekend, we got to spend time with our pastors, uh, just, just hanging out. And we start to talk about just the work that God has called them to do and the fruit that is born uh, in our lives. And Pastorist Christy, I guess she's in the back, uh, she brought this verse. It talks about a life that's truly life. And as disciples, uh, our job is to carry on the work of Jesus that's been given to us through our disciples. But where you stop, if you don't fully put things into practice or fully put things to death, you, been, you end up with a life that is, that is uh, decimated by, by compromising. I don't want that in my life. I don't want that in my generations. Amen. So that's what we're working to, to put our finger on this morning is that there is no in-between. There's no half-step. You're either all the way in or you're all the way out. But there's a promise for those who are all the way in. Yeah. And there's a promise for those who are all the way out. In 1 Samuel 15, verse 1, it says, Samuel said to Saul, I am the one the Lord sent to anoint you king over his people Israel. So listen now to the message from the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. Now go, attack the Amalekites and totally destroy everything that belongs to, to them. Yeah. Destroy how much? Everything. everything. Do not spare them. Put to death men, women, children, and infants, cattle, and sheep, camels, and donkeys. <laughs> we see in this passage that Saul was called to put the enemies of God to death. Regardless of how he, how he made it to the, king, the, the kingship, at this moment, God has given, given him a clear call to be obedient to, to put the enemies of God to death, regardless of how he became king. God has called us to do the same. And what that looks like for us is identifying the, the, the things in us that are, that are uh, the, 
Things that have made a treaty with the world like First John 2 says. And to put those things to death. Putting things to death reminds me of Colossians 3. Yeah. Let's just put this on the screen. Stay right there in 1 Samuel 15. But in Colossians 3 and verse 5 it says this. Put to death therefore whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Folks, do you hear, do you hear the language uh, in the very most plain sense of the language here? It says put it to death. Yeah. Not host it. Not uh, be okay with it. Not tolerate it. Not let it be like a little small pet that stays in the corner of your house but is primarily quiet. It says put it to death. Whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Put to death every single navel trait that you have. Put it to death. Yeah. Those things that are obvious to everyone else and not always obvious to you. The sinful nature that is supposed to be obvious to you, you're supposed to put it to death. Somebody look at your neighbor and say, you better put it to death. You better put it to death. Look at the other neighbor you didn't want to talk to and say, that better die. That better die. It says, put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Well, that's a lot of things to put to death in our lives, isn't it? Yeah. Whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Yeah, no your own thought processes that you just like to hang on to. Your own intentions that you find so palatable to yourself. Your own direction. That idea that it's, that you really, you hear what's going on, but what you have, that your thought process is better than the masses. You know why? Because it's yours. How is that not you being like Tara and being an an idol maker? We're not asking you to follow us for any other reason than the Bible says, consider your leaders and imitate their way of life. If you like what you see in your leadership in this church and the families that we have, then imitate it. But don't pretend like your singular thought, the exclusion, the one that's always got to be a little bit different than what everybody else is doing, because that's just a little bit more elite. Shame on you for your elite nature. That's wickedness. That's pride. That's arrogance. And the Lord is coming against it today. This idea that we're pretty much with you. We just don't really like this part of what y'all say. Perhaps that's arrogance in what you're doing. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. There are the idols again. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You have to be very, very careful, church. We love you. We know that God is going to give you the power to overcome these things, but you can't do this without putting to death their earthly nature. You can't nurse it along. You can't keep feeding it on the side like a little stray cat. You know, I feel kind of bad for it. Let me just give it a little food. Well, you know, the little cat brought it, it, it brought its friend, so let's just give it a little bit more food. Pretty soon you are nursing things that are bringing sickness into your own home because you're not putting to death your earthly nature. Let's go back to 1 Samuel 15. Let's look at verse 10. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I am grieved that I have made Saul king because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was troubled and he cried out to the Lord all that night. You know what happens when one of, the, one of the problems with not putting to death your sinful nature is that you have a situation like this where you actually begin to grieve the Lord. As if you can keep doing what you're going to do, do it your own way, do it in your own thought press, process and think that God is okay with you. 
What if you grieve the heart of the Lord? And what grieves him? Because Saul has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. When you want to alter what God has said to you, you can get in a process where you are grieving the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. What's another problem that we see in this one verse right here? We see in this passage, in verse 11, is that Samuel was troubled. Anybody notice the problem with that? Who's the one sinning? Saul. Who's the one sinning? Saul. Who's troubled about it? Samuel. Are you at a place in your walk where, as pastors and elders, we're more concerned with your state than you are? I've seen Charlie pray an anointed prayer for some of you in this room because they're worried about you. I've seen Elder Baj with such tenderness speak about you in this room. I've seen Pastor Matt weep over you. Are we more concerned about your state than you are? The real issue here is that we can't be laboring. We gladly take that responsibility on. But this cannot be in place of what you are doing in your own life. Look in the next verse. Early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul. Here's the problem. The man of God is weeping over Saul. He is weeping over his condition. He is weeping over the fact that he has grieved the Lord. And what is Saul doing? Saul has gone to Carmel. There he has set up a monument in his own honor and has turned and gone down to Gilgal. Isn't this always the case? Real men and women of God are mourning over their state. While those who are only feigning to be men and women of God are deciding to try to set up a monument in their own honor. Now, this is, this is too broad of a subject, right? A monument in your own honor. Yeah, pastor, that's good. What does a monument in your own honor look like? Hey, pastor, I'm doing fine. Pastor, I have this really, really neat way that I think that I'm going to go about my life that has nothing to do with what this house or what the Word of God is speaking, but I've got a really cool idea. How is that a not a monument to your own intellect? How is that a not a monument to your own desires or a monument to your own will or a monument to how great your intentions are? It doesn't really matter. I mean, I'm, I'm trying. No, 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 no. Saul is setting up a monument to himself. Let's see what Samuel does in verse 32. Then Samuel said, bring me Agag, king of the Amalekites. Agag came to him confidently thinking, surely the bitterness of death is past. And well, this convicted me because I'm, I'm, I'm wrestling with this like we're supposed to standing up here preaching to you about what's going on in our lives. Is is there any part in my heart that I've kind of made a, a treaty with my flesh? Or I've kind of just given it a hall pass like, oh, th- this one thing. Because this is what I tend to, it's all right, I'll give it a pass. And so it's thinking that, what, what are you permitting in your walks? What are you permitting in your homes? What are you permitting in your thoughts? What I don't want is for Samuel to come and have to put my giant to death. I don't want my pastor to come and have to put uh, my wickedness to death. That's my job. That's my responsibility. It is your responsibility to, to use the word of God to cut and divide your heart. To, to put to death the things that are enemies. Because what we learn here and what we see here about the Amalekites is that when you leave options, like Pastor Way was talking about, you leave enemies. Yeah. Yeah. And who has to face those enemies? Your children do. Yeah. Yeah. 
your, your generations do. And we know from the beginning to the end of Scripture, there's nothing more important to God than the generations. It's the very reason he called Abraham. And so it's my responsibility to put to death right now the things that, that my generations would have to war with if I didn't. But you know what? We can choose right now. That those things are dying. We're we going to put the, the, the tombstone on those things today. So the Lord is calling us to put to death the enemies. It's a question. What, what enemies are you planning on leaving your generations, your children to deal with? What things that you're just kind of just going to hide away, going to hide under the floorboard and not deal with, that are going to come back to bite the children in the, in the back? Because James 4.17 says, therefore, if you know the good that you ought to do, and you don't do it, for you that's sin. We, we can't put up with this in our lives because it's, it has a cost associated to it. Every time we don't obey, every time there's something that we should go do and we don't do, there's a cost associated with it. And you can't, you can't really see it right now. But the Lord is pouring out his mercy and his grace by showing us like, look, this is what needs to be dealt with right now. This is what I'm putting my finger on it. We heard it in worship that the Lord is putting his finger on the issue. And there are no excuses. I'm reminded of, of the word that, that Carlos preached a, a couple weeks back about knowing the character of the father. See, we're called to our father's business. And that character is to make no excuses and to put the enemies of God to death. And that's a good word, Justin. When you leave options, you leave enemies. Enemies that will choke you out and will surely be involved in your children. I can't tell you how many times as a pastor... I know of adults, grown men who have trouble with pornography and their kids do too. The same pride that runs rampant in one generation and it runs even more rampant in the next generation. An isolation. Whatever it may be that these things are there. When you leave options, you leave enemies. And you leave them for your kids. Now that means a lot to me because I have them. I know what that feels like. I know the, the sting of that when it says it. If you don't have kids yet, then you're leaving, the, you're leaving an opportunity for the enemy to continue to grow and possibly defeat you before you can get to the generations. We're not going to do that, Pastor. In verse 33, look at what it says. But Samuel said, as your sword has made women childless, so will your mother be childless among women. And Samuel put Agag to death before the Lord at Gilgal. Come on, we got to put our enemies to death today, yes. church. Turn to your neighbor and say, I want to put my enemies to death. Turn with us to Numbers chapter 33. Say there when you're there. Come on, church. We don't have to leave this place the same way that we came. That, that, that's the promise from the Lord, that as our hunger rises to meet his will, he's going to make change in this place. Numbers 33, starting in verse 51. Say there when you're there. Speak to the Israelites and say to them, when you cross the Jordan into Canaan, drive out all the inhabitants of the land. How many of the inhabitants? All. all of the inhabitants from the land before you. Destroy all of their carved images. All of them. What are those carved images? What, what is the Lord telling you to destroy? What's something that you've attached to your character that needs to be detached and thrown into the fire? Amen. And their cast idols. Demolish all of their high places. That demolishing, that's not just like, oh, I'm a... I'm going to take it down neatly. I'm going to fold it up. No, that's like Pastor Matt, Pastor Matt going for a demo job with a sledgehammer and taking out a whole row of cabinets in one swing. It ain't worth nothing by the time he's done with it. That's the way we have to be with these things that are uh, tripping us up in our lives. Amen. This is not a new concept. 
As, we, as we're working through the canon of scripture, this is not new. Abraham got this from God. Moses got it from Abraham. Joshua got it from Moses. David got it from Joshua. And now through the power and the blood of Jesus Christ that cleans us and makes us new, we have been given the same call. The lot has fallen to you. The question is, now what must you put to death in your earthly nature? Identify. What is it that God is putting his finger on that you know that is not a part of his plan in the kingdom? Maybe part of your plan, but it's not his. We have to identify those things right now. Man, Justin's preaching better than y'all are responding here today. You got to figure out what you got to put to death today. Yeah. When you leave options, you leave enemies. That was such a good word that Justin said. That should be those, one of those things that kind of just rings in your ears for a while. Look at verse 55. What happens if you don't? But if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land, those you allow to remain will become barbs in your eyes and thorns in your side. Anybody want a barb in your eye? No. Anybody want a thorn in your side? No. They will give you trouble in the land where you live. Anybody got trouble in their, during their life? Anybody got trouble during your days? And then I will do to you what I plan to do to them. Let's put up the slide so I can just talk through this really quickly now that we've read the verses. If you don't drive out your enemy, what happens? You get barbs in your eyes. When you don't drive out your enemies, you're not able to see any longer what God has for you. When you don't destroy all that the enemy has done, they become thorns in your side. That thing that you won't take care of because you're afraid that it's going to embarrass you too much. That thing that you actually, if you really thought about it, is an idol because you love it more than you love serving the Lord. That thing, when you don't take care of that, it becomes a thorn in your side. When you don't demolish the idolatry that is around you, when you don't demolish these things, what happens? <laughs> you in trouble. Come on, somebody turn to your neighbor and say, I'm in trouble. If you don't take possession, uh-oh, we're supposed to increase and possess this. If you don't take possession, it will happen to you what God intends to do to your enemies. This is not a new concept for this church, but I'm refreshing it today because it's important to us. When you don't fully increase and take possession of the land that God has given... The things that God intended you to be able to do to the enemy, the enemy is now able to do to you. No wonder so many Christians have such powerless walks. That Christianity, we, we expect each other as Christians, maybe not in this church, but around you. They don't expect you to have power in your walk. They don't expect you to be able to overcome your thought problems. They don't, ever, they don't expect that you can overcome. They expect that it's just going to stay there. They've identified an enemy and they just want to let them stay around. What the Lord is trying to speak to us today is that we don't leave any options. We don't leave any enemies. It's time to put our enemies to death here in this place. Amen. Every last one of them. This is the nature of the kingdom that we are a part of. This is the very nature of the kingdom that we're a part of. This is our family, our father's business. And we must be about our father's business. Come on, whose business are you about? About my father's. Whose business are you about? Father. See, in, in, Genesis, in Deuteronomy 20, verse 16, it says, However, in the cities of the nations, the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance. Do not leave alive any that breathe, anything that breathes. 
completely destroyed them. The Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and Jebusites. It really doesn't matter. I, I, I feel like that list could have kept going. It really doesn't matter because the Lord has commanded you to do it. Otherwise, they will teach you to follow all the detestable things they do in worshiping their gods, and you will sin against the Lord your God. This is telling us, this is telling me, that we have to guard the land that he's given us. He's promised us uh, uh, an inheritance, and he's called us to go increase and possess it, and we have to guard it. That means driving out completely whatever does not obey his command. Look at where this comes from in Deuteronomy chapter 7. It's the same concept. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, you're entering to possess. And he tells you to drive out these nations that are larger and stronger than you. Verse 2. When the Lord has delivered them over to you and you have defeated them. See, the whole intention is that even though the enemy is bigger and stronger than you, the intention is that you will be victorious. When he's delivered them over to you and you defeated him, you must totally destroy them. Well, that sounds so harsh. No, this is the command from the Lord. Make no treaty with them. Show them no mercy. Now that's one thing when God is speaking to a specific group of people in a specific land about a specific inheritance. What does it mean for us today? Are you making treaties in certain areas of your life? Are you showing mercy to things that need to be put to death? Are you allowing attitudes, thoughts, actions to stay around because you just don't expect to have the power to overcome them? Are you making a treaty with them? Just don't bother me today. God, help me. Not Just don't strike me dead today in this place. I swear to you, I'll do it different. Knowing that you're just going to kind of nurse that pet sin. Don't make treaties with the enemy today. The treaties that you've made to decide that you're going to... It's okay with you to stay angry with people. It's okay with you to get offended at the drop of a hat, thinking that it's always about everyone else instead of looking at your own self. You've made a treaty with that. You're showing it mercy and you're allowing it to stay around in your life. Today, that enemy has to die. It has to die. And I don't just mean die to be later resurrected. I mean put it to death today. No mercy. Don't intermarry with... What is the principle in Deuteronomy 20 and Deuteronomy 7? If you leave them there... They will pollute you and drive you from what God intends to give you. If you want the good stuff that God has, you have to do it the way that He prescribes. We have been so encouraged in this church lately. I think our services have been uplifting. We've been trying to motivate everyone towards goodness. Been trying to deal with and encourage you in your marriages on Monday nights. Apparently, there has to be an attitude change in this place today. Apparently, we're, we're too comfortable. See, you think you want us to only encourage you. Only good things, Pastor. Nobody in this room would say that. Ma- Pastor, make us feel better about ourselves. Yeah, if I do that today, if we do that today, you're going to end up making a treaty with the enemy. It's going to put barbs in your eyes and thorns in your side. Instead of it happening to your enemies, the enemies are going to possess you instead of you possessing the inheritance that God has. This is the forceful nature of the kingdom. In verse 5, break down their altars, smash their sacred stones, cut down their Asherah poles, burn their idols in the fire. Sounds like you're 
You're not, not, you're, you're not playing a game with these people. You're burning them down. You're cutting it out. You're amputating the action in your life. You're going to replace it with righteousness. You are serious about getting this. It is the nature of this kingdom where there's no compromise. There's no mercy when you're fighting the enemy. No mercy when you're fighting the enemy. Say it with me. Say no mercy. We're far too merciful to our enemies. And I mean the enemies inside of yourself, the sinful nature. You could be as merciful as the heavens when you're rightly dealing with your own heart. But mercy here says no mercy when you're fighting your enemy. No treaties, no plaudits, no sympathy. Break them down, smash them, cut them down, burn them out. Because you represent God. You're supposed to be holy and chosen and treasured. And anything less than that is idolatry against the God who loves you. This is our Father's business. Church, as we look at this, look at, look at what, what he said there. He's speaking in the past tense. The Lord has already li- delivered you. So this word is for us. I don't wanna, want it to sound like this word is for, for somebody out there, for somebody who hasn't had an experience for the Lord. No, they've already come through the Red Sea, and he's speaking in past tense. When you have been delivered, much like when you have been saved and, and spirit-filled and the Lord has done something in your life, just like he's done in all of our lives. That's when you go to war with these things. So there must be things that we have to identify and uproot and completely burn. In Isaiah 51, because the Lord is trying to remind us who we are. Right right now, he's trying to remind us, look, you're not called to the half step. Abraham, I've called you my, I've called a son, I've called a friend. You're not, you're not called to the half step. You're called to go all the way. And he's reminding them, look, I have delivered you. You're my treasure possession. Now, this is what you do is my treasure possession. In Isaiah 51, verse 6, it says, lift up your eyes to the heavens. Sometimes we got to do that. Sometimes we just got to lift up our eyes, lift up our thoughts, lift up our emotions, lift up our intentions to the heavens and let the Lord give us what he wants to come down. Look at the earth beneath. The heavens will vanish like smoke. The earth will wear out like a garment and its inhabitants will die like flies. But my salvation lasts forever. Nothing around you can be trusted. Your own intentions, earthly desires, earthly uh, habits, natures, the things that you see common to the people around you, those things will pass away. They'll, they'll burn up like a moth. But he says, my salvation, it lasts forever. And my righteousness will never fail. I see people in this church that are fighting for righteousness. Amen. I, 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 I get the privilege of walking uh, alongside and, and looking at brothers go before me that are fighting for righteousness, that are, uh, that are weaving it into the fabrics of their homes to the point that uh, certain things that they struggle with, their children won't even know because they have taken hold of this righteousness that comes from God Amen. and, and taken it upon themselves to infuse that, to instill that into the generations. Yeah. Amen. Hear me, you who know what is right. And church, we are getting, we're giving fresh bread in this church. Yeah. We're giving good word in this, in this church and we are being taught what is right. You people who have my law in your hearts, not just on your minds, not just as a platitude, not just something that, that you believe, but you're working to actually impress the word on your hearts. You see how this is tied to the generations? What, what, is, what does Deuteronomy uh, 6 talk about, tell you about uh, what you do with your children when you're driving along the road? Impressedentism. Impressedentism. The Lord is intentionally coming back to this again and again because it's about them. Do not fear the reproach of men or be terrified by their insults. How about that? Hallelujah. For the moth will eat them up like a garment. The worm will devour them like wool. But my righteousness will last forever. Again, twice. My salvation through all generations. 
Do you hear this? The Lord is repeatedly, repeatedly calling us to focus on what's above, to focus on that which brings life, which is his word and the right application of it. Because he is going to purge everything that brings death from our midst. And he's going to start in you. Judgment comes first in, at the house of God. We have to put these things to death in us so we can go and liberate captives from the fierce. Because if we don't, what's waiting on them? We're learning that in Discipleship Pups on Fridays. If we don't put to death the things in us that are keeping us from God's will, what does that mean for the person that's sitting next to you? Hmm. They have no life. This is our father's business. Isaiah 25. Let's look at verse 9. The nature of the kingdom that we are to represent. The only attitude that we're allowed to have. Isaiah 25 and verse 9. Says this, in that day they will say, surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. What a beautiful thought. Listen to the next verse. In this celebration of the, of trusting in the Lord and finding salvation. This is how the celebration goes. Come on. The hand of the Lord will rest on the mountain, but Moab will be trampled under him as straw is trampled down in the manure. They will spread out their hands in it as a swimmer spreads out his hands to swim. Are are you getting the picture of this? They're celebrating the great salvation of God, which will put his enemies down in the manure. Come on, guys. This is the warrior-like God that we have. Exodus chapter 15 says, the Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. This is who we are serving. This idea, when God's hands rest upon something, if his hand rests upon you, it's powerful. But you better not make it in wrath that he's laying his hands upon you. Because you will be utterly decimated. You want his hand there to lift you up and bring salvation so that you're on the right end of this, cheering about God's great salvation. I think about uh, 2 Samuel. Both 2 Samuel 22 and Psalm 18 say, Come on, that I pastor. beat them as fine as the dust of the earth. Mm. I pounded them and trampled them like mud in the streets. This is our father's business. Turn to uh, Psalm 58. The, the, the Lord is, is taking us somewhere. We have to get in, in, in the vein. The righteous will be glad. I'm going to stop right there. I can keep reading it. We, we've read that time and time again, but I'm going to stop right there. Are you glad right now at what your life is producing? Yes. Can you look at your life? With, with no shame and saying, look, I'm not, I'm not who I used to be. The Lord is, is calling me to something higher and I'm working at it and I'm working at it and I'm seeing fruit. I'm struggling, but I'm working at it. You have enemies, you, you have lies from the enemy that, that are coming against you saying that you're, that you're this and you're that. But the word says that the righteous will be glad. Why? Because they just made it up because they just decided to be glad. No. Psalm, Psalm 45, 7 says, you love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. Amen. Joy comes when you know that you're on the Lord's side. Yeah. It doesn't come from, from circumstance because circumstances will be bad sometimes. Yeah. I'm telling you, we, we're getting stuff worked into us all the time, and God uses whatever medium he sees fit. But the righteous will be glad, and they'll have joy upon them. Amen. They will be glad when they are avenged, when they bathe their feet in the blood of the wicked. That is, that is God's word. There's not a Hollywood movie. This is... A word from the Lord. It says, then men will say, surely the righteous are still rewarded. Surely there is a God who judges the earth. 
will not the judge of all the earth do right? Amen. It says in, in Genesis. Genesis, those who are at war with sin have no shame. We, we, we have that song uh, in, in Psalm 34. Uh, those who look to him are ready in their faces are never covered in shame. You know why they're ready? Because they're bathing their, their, their feet in the sacrifices that they bring the Lord. They're, they're bathing in the blood that is the, the bloody sacrifice that he desires from us. And they're washed. We're washed with the word of God. So you know what? We become radiant. We, sh- we shine. Those who are at war with sin have no shame. Instead, they are eagerly awaiting their vindication. This is the Father's business. Psalm 110. Quickly turn to Psalm 110 and verse 1. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. I love this passage. Captain Morgan. <laughs> Not only should you be defeating your enemies, but you have an opportunity to hum- humiliate your enemies. Yeah. How defeated does someone have to be? Come up here. Sit right here. Boop. I, wanna, I just want a place to rest my feet. I want, I'm, I'm going to have you sit right here at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Yeah. Come on now. Hey, scoot over just a little bit. Ah, that's it. How utterly decimated is that enemy if they're literally just a footstool for you? Yeah, that's the point. That's how you should be conquering sin in your life. It should be a footstool. It should be something that is so beneath you that you tell it where to go. Come on, Alicia. You tell it what to do. It has no control over you. Sit right there until I decide for you not to. Right. How, how good does that, would that feel? To put to shame the things that are putting you to shame. Amen. Like, like, like think about it like that. The things that have, give, that have brought you shame, and most times it comes from us. How good would it feel to, to repent, to turn, to put that thing to death, and to, and to lock it away, <laughs> and, and, and put your feet on it? How good would that feel? That's what the Lord is trying to get at from this service. Look at verse 5. It goes on. The entire psalm is pretty fantastic. I it encourage is. you to read it. It's, it's, it's wonderful. Verse 5 says, the Lord is at your right hand. He will crush kings on the day of his wrath. He will judge the nations, heaping up the dead, crushing the rulers of the whole earth. Does it sound like that the Lord is at all worried about those enemies? Not at all. Is he he even remotely concerned Mm -mm. about the things that feel like they're overwhelming in our life? They have no power. The entire earth is his footstool. All we have to do is trust in this. The, crush, the God who crushes kings, judges nations, heaps up the dead, crushes the rulers of the earth. This is our father's business. Come on. Yeah. Y'all turn to Luke 21. We're going to look at what the, the skull crusher is going to do when he comes. <laughs> skull crusher. <laughs> Add that to the nicknames. <laughs> Say there when you're there. there. When, I mean, when you're really there, when you want this in your life. There. At that time, they will see the son of man coming in a cloud. With power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up. The Lord is saying, stand up. Right now, stand up out of it. Lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. He's coming. He is coming. And when he comes, he's bringing his reward and his recompense. It's a a, a two-sided coin. A glorious and dreadful day is what the prophets say. Depending on what we do today. What we do today determines if we're putting those things to shame. If we're letting those enemies uh, be footstools for our feet, 
or if we will be shamed when he's coming. But he's given us the choice. So we have no excuse and we have every encouragement to just go after it. Yeah. We are going to be expectant on the day and not be ashamed. That's, that's what I'm declaring right now in faith. And I'm deciding that it's going to take place. I'm not going to be ashamed on the day. I'm going to be expectant because of the work that I'm putting in today. Amen. This is our father's business. Revelation 19. Come on, we're talking about our father's business. We got to be all about our father's business. Come on, say father's business. Say I'm about my father's business. You got to be consumed with your father's business. And this that we are reading is your father's business. Don't lose what we're doing here. We're not being overly masculine. We're having a holy masculinity up in this place. Come on. This is what it takes. This is a holy righteousness that both men and women must engage in. In Revelation 19, look at who we worship. I saw heaven, uh, verse 11. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called, what? Faithful Faithful and true. true. With justice, he judges and makes snowballs. With justice, he judges and holds little lambs lovingly. With justice, he judges and makes war. Come on now. What judgment have you not been applying in your own life through the word of God? Where have you not been making war? You've been doing something else. His eyes are blazing like fire. On his head are many crowns. God, I want to earn crowns for him that I may lay it at his feet. That he may wear the crowns that I have earned in this place with you guys. His name is written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood. Who's the blood that, he's been dipped, that his robe has been dipped in? His enemies. His enemies. God, you, most churches, the answer to that would be his own blood. I understand the importance of what he did on the cross. I'm not making light of that, not even for a second. But he is dipped. The one who judges and makes war. His robe is dipped in the blood of his enemies. Yes. Up to the height of, bride, of the bridle of a horse. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses, dressed in fine linen. What does that mean? That means that he is a warrior, and you know what those who follow him are? They're supposed to be warriors as well. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword. Wow. Wow, listen to who we're talking about. On his robe and on his thigh, he has written the name King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is our father's business today. Revelation 17, 14. Who's going to be with them when he, when, he, when he goes? Is it going to be those who are about their own business, being busy? Or is it those who are busy with the father's business? In Revelation 7, 14, 17, 14, it says, These will wage war against the lamb, and the lamb will overcome them. Because he is Lord of lords and king of kings. And those who are with him are the called, the chosen, and the faithful. We get to decide who we're with on that day. Amen. We will be, we will be those that are overcoming because we, we were with him who was overcoming in this life. We'll be with them in the next. This is our father's business. Turn to first John chapter three, verse seven. First John chapter three and verse seven. It says this, dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous. (laughs) That sounds like, it sounds like kind of an obvious statement, isn't it? 
He who does what is right is righteous. You know why the Word of God and the Apostle John have to say this? I think it's for a day and time just like ours, where there are many who consider themselves righteous and they don't do what's right. He who does what is sinful is of the devil. Thank you, John, for being so clear about this. Because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Listen to this last sentence. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. In such a clear, pushat, plain language kind of summary, out of all the things that could be said about the Christ, about why He came, about what He was to do. Do you know why He came? He came to destroy the devil's works. To put it to death. If, he, if that is His goal, do you realize what He says in Luke 4 is that? He references back to Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to do what? To go destroy the works of the devil. To preach the good news to the poor. To proclaim freedom for the prisoners. To recovery of sight for the blind. To release the oppressed. He's saying, I am going to come to destroy the works of the devil. So what is our job, church? To destroy the works of the devil. If we're going to be about the Father's business, then our only job is to do what His job is. That's it. You destroy the works of the devil in your own life that you might help destroy it in others' lives. You remove the log in your own eye so that you can re- remove the plank, the uh, speck in their eye. Yeah, we always want to always flip that around. You know why? It's probably because of my human nature. And I want it to be something much smaller in my eye, but something much larger in yours. That's not the way the Scripture is. You've got to take care of what God is doing. You've got to destroy the devil's works inside of you. This is our Father's business. Every one of us, every one of us are accountable to the word that God is, is giving us. Now, I, I don't want to want to skip past this. We all will, will, will be responsible for what we did or didn't do. It sounds very simple, simple, but we all will be accountable for that. And you get to choose today where you stand in that. So for every person in this room, some of us, we're putting enemies under our feet. We need to throw, the, throw them in the cave and be done with them. Others, you got to come to that altar and, and, and bring the Lord a sacrifice of your life, your, your, your will, your, your emotions, your plans, whatever it is that, that, that you're holding back. Because those things, like we covered in the beginning of this word, are going to come back to bite you. In Hebrews 12, turn to Hebrews 12. It says, see to it in verse 25. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they... When they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised once more, once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken. That is created things so that what cannot be shaken may remain right now. If you're standing on shaky ground. If you're standing on something that's other than Christ, that's other than what he's called you to, that's going to be removed. Where would that leave you? The Lord is saying right now, don't refuse me when I speak to you because I'm, I'm calling you as a son. I'm calling you to come to this altar and give your life away. That's what he's calling us to. And the Lord is saying, don't refuse it because he's the only thing that you have. 
Psalm 73, 25 says, uh, the, I have nothing else but God, basically. I don't want to misquote it. I have nothing else but God. Earth has nothing for me. Heaven has all that I need. The Lord is saying right now, if you have anything other than what he is giving you, than what his promises is or for yeah, you, come on. those things are going to be removed. We have to deal with that today. We don't have another day. We have to deal with it today. Amen. Let's turn to Joshua chapter 10 for our final passage that we're going to ask you to turn to today. Joshua chapter 10. Ooh, there's going to be some liberation in this place Amen. today. Amen. There's going to be some life-changing ministry happening today, if you'll let it. Amen. If you'll accept what the Lord is saying to you, if you'll not be so prideful that you think that it's about someone else, the Lord can work in your life today. Joshua chapter 10 is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. If you ask me another time, I might tell you another chapter as well, but right now I'm going to say that this is one of my favorites because it is. Preach it. Preach it. Let's start in verse 5. There's far too much for us to cover in the remaining time that we have for us to go through the entirety of the chapter, but you need to pick up on a few things here. Joshua chapter, five, chapter 10 and verse 5, it says this, Then the five kings of the Amorites... The kings of Jerusalem, Hebron, Jarmuth, Lachish, and Eglon, they joined forces. How many kings is that again? Five. Five kings that joined forces. They moved up with all their troops and took up positions against Gibeah and attacked it. Now this is going to be one of the most incredible battles that the Bible describes. There's going to be some things that are so unique in Joshua 10 that happened that they weren't replicated anywhere else in the Word of God. And the Bible says so. This is an unusual day when God listened to a man that the way God did. When He listened to Joshua, He stood the sun, the sun stood still in the sky. Boy, that's a day. That is some kind of a day. The sun and the earth stayed in the same position and did not move for, for about the span of an entire day. That's a little bit more than a day. <laughs> <laughs> it's about two days. It's a day, right? That's an incredible thing. But listen to what these five kings or these five kingdoms represent. We have a slide just so I can talk through it really quickly. If you go through and you just look in an Unger's Bible dictionary, if you just look at what these words are actually referencing, you have the king of Jerusalem, the city of peace. What am I going to talk to us about for the next few minutes? The fact that there are kingdoms that are trying to steal things from you. There just so happens to be five. It's almost like your five naval traits can be seen in some of these. There are things they're trying to steal from your life. Jerusalem. A king of Jerusalem. A king of peace, supposedly. That's actually trying to take your peace. Do you fight with things in your life that try to take your right order? That try to take your peace? Of course you do. Of course I do. The next king was the king of Hebron. It's the word community. I, the way that I looked at that is the enemy that's trying to come in and steal your fellowship. Trying to steal your association. If you are walking rightly with the Lord, you are in right fellowship with others. This king is trying to get you to not only break your relationship and your fellowship here, he's trying to do it from stunting your growth between you and the Lord. Let's not pretend like you can be okay with the Lord and not okay with the people. 
who are okay with the Lord. If you're going to stay as a lone gun, a lone ranger, and think that you're okay, you are not in right fellowship with the Lord, so says 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. Number three, Jarmuth. It's calling about an elevated or high place. You know what that's talking about? It's a king that's trying to come in, a kingdom that's trying to come in and steal your very calling. That thing that's supposed to elevate you from the low living that others are around you. This king, this leader that's attached to the chaos is trying to remove you from your calling. Lakish, the word means invincible, undefeatable, impregnable. Boy, doesn't, don't your enemies always feel that way to you? Maybe not all of them, but isn't there that one enemy that you're like, yeah, I might be able to win here and here, but that one, that one, I'm not sure that I can finish that guy off. That one has kind of been around. You know, my dad had the same problem. My, my grandpa had the same problem. That's kind of always been in our family. What are you looking at today that feels undefeatable to you? By the way, later in the chapter, Lachish was defeated in two days. Don't get lost in this. The thing that feels like it's undefeatable, impregnable, invincible to you can be defeated in two days if you decide that you're going to put these kings to death. Eglon. Eglon is a, is a word for a young bull, a young calf. When I thought of young bull, I thought about the confidence that you're supposed to have. See, some of these kings I I know pretty well. I fought with some of these guys before. I've had to address a lack of confidence in my own life. You know what I decided? I'm just putting them to death. It's not going to be a problem. Not because of wishful thinking or hopeful speech, but because I'm going to put this king, this authority that's attached to chaos, I'm going to put it to death. I'm going to come and get things in the right order. This is what God intends for us to do today. So when we're talking about these five kings, understand that these five kings are representing the very five things that are hardest for you to conquer. They're representing your peace, your fellowship, your calling, those things, that hopelessness that comes from thinking that you can't defeat things. It's trying to steal your confidence. This is what Joshua's dealing with on this day. Let's look in verse 16. Now the five kings had fled and hidden in the cave at Makeda. And what I see here is that we got five kings that have hidden. And what we learn about our, our Nabals is that most times we can't see them rightly. You got to take some time to pray about them. And you got to identify these things that are keeping you, that are opposite of doing the will of God. If you read in Romans 8, we talk about what the flesh does, does and what the spirit does. The things you do when you're in the flesh... Your Nabal traits, those things hide from you often. They might hide in, they might hide under you and say, oh, that's just part of who I am. Joshua went out and found them. There's no more hiding. There's no, there's no more hiding these things. These things are going to be sought out, separated, and put to death right now. Amen. When Joshua was told that the five kings had been found hidden in the cave at Makeda, he, he recognized where they were. He would, He said, roll large rocks up to the mouth of the cave and post some men there to guard it. What have we been learning? That we have to guard the things that God has entrusted to us, that we have to treasure it. He says, but don't stop. Don't just stop there. Pursue your enemies. Attack them from the rear. 
Smote them on their high parts behind and don't let them reach their cities for the Lord your God has given them into your hand. This is the promise from God that he's given us today. That as we identify the, 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 the go back to that slide, Joy. It's almost, it's pretty pashat. We identify the things that are trying to steal our right order with God, that are trying to take us out of community, that are trying to, to steal the high calling that God has called us up to. Realize that, that calling, that, the calling up to Zion, he, when sin has been removed, with the blood of Jesus, the barrier was removed on the mountain. He's calling us all the way up to mountain. You're not a half citizen in the kingdom. You are a citizen and a, and a son of the living God. There's no half step in that. Invincible, undefeatable. What are, what's, what's trying to take your, sap away at your strength? Mm-hmm. What, what's sapping away at, the, at your strength and the integrity of your walk? The confidence. What, 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 is, what is trying to eat away and lie to you and, and, and tell you things that are just not what God is saying? Those things have to be found, sought out, and put to death. Amen. You see here, Joshua identified that there were still five kings that needed to be put to death. He realized that they had been hiding. And he wrote large stones over them, but the deed was not done yet. Let's talk about what it looks like when the deed is done. So he's identified them. He's held them captive now. He knows exactly where they are. There's no more hiding from him. He's got a bead on what's going on. Yeah. Look at verse 22. There's a day of reckoning that has to come for the kings that are causing chaos in your life. For the sin that has been reigning far too long and causing barbs in your own eyes and thorns in your side. Joshua said, open the mouth of the cave. See, there comes a time when you can't leave it in hiding. Yeah, I know what those sins are. I know what my fleshly traits are. I even have it on a card that I have in my back pocket. I got stones, Pastor. I got stones about that. I got it in my back pocket. I know where it is. I'm just going to leave it right there. And later on, I'm going to get to it. Today is the later on, my friends. Today is the day that you go ahead and open up the mouth of this cave. That you go ahead and say, it's not enough for me to just know where they are. It's not enough for it to be obvious to me. i got to go put these things to death. So they brought the five kings out of the cave. The kings of Jerusalem. Hebron. Jarmuth. Lachish. And Eglon. When they had brought these kings to Joshua, he summoned all the men of Israel. I'm making a summons to you today, church. I am summoning the men and women of LCM. He said to the army commanders who had come with him, come here and put your feet on the necks of these kings. So they came forward and placed their feet on the necks. That's even different than being a footstool, isn't it? Footstool says I might even still have a little bit of usefulness to you to at least give me a little comfort. When you put your foot on the neck of another man. If I had some, I'm not going to do this, but if I had somebody come lay here and I put my foot on their neck and squeeze a little bit, put some tension on them, what are you saying? You're saying that your life is mine. You're no longer in control. You're not even in control a little bit here. I will end you. When I decide to end you. You know what Joshua wanted to do? He wanted every single person in the army of the living God to say, you need to know what this feels like. 
You need to know what it's like to put things to death that they will never bother you again. You need to know what it's like to open up the mouth of the cave and be victorious in every way. None of this pity pat with the enemy. You're going to put your foot on his neck. You're going to crush the works of the enemy. You are going to be about your father's business that you might destroy the works of the devil. This is what this passage is saying. Every man, every woman in this room, you need to open up that cave today. I'm telling you that the God of all creation, he is speaking to you today. Those things that you keep allowing to linger around, you knew they were in the cave the whole time. Open up the cave Put your foot on their neck and defeat them now. You know what a pastor in this, said, a pastor in this church uh, said recently? He said, my faith has its foot on the neck of fear. And my trust, my trust in the Lord has its foot on the neck of despair. That's, his, that's what the Lord is calling us to today. What this passage reminds me of is David. David, when he was living in obscurity and uh, taking care of sheep while his brothers were out getting the glory uh, in the, the armies of Israel. He told the king Saul, he said, when I saw a lion or a bear, I went after it. I grabbed it by his head and I struck it. That's what the Lord is calling us to do right now in his church. And when you decide, when you decide today that these things are done, that you're done with these things, that you're putting them underfoot, the Lord meets you like he meets Joshua. And I don't just mean when, 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 when the hailstones are coming down from heaven. I'm talking about when Joshua took off and marched all throughout the night. Yeah. When, when he marched all throughout the night and caught uh, the enemies of God by surprise. He's going to sustain you through that. In Deuteronomy 8, Deuteronomy 8, 4, the Lord is, is, is reminding Israel, look, when I took you through the, through, uh, the, 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 the desert, yeah. when, when I delivered you uh, all those 40 years, your feet didn't wear out. Your sandals didn't wear out. You had fresh bread. You had water. The Lord is saying that you have what you need. So it's no longer an a, a, a issue of, Lord, I, I just feel like I can't or I feel like I don't have what it takes. No, he's saying you choose. He's calling us to choose today to put our foots on the, on the neck of those things that are keeping us from doing God's will. In Joshua 10, 25, Joshua said to them, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Be strong and courageous. Come on, church. Don't be afraid. Come on. Don't you be discouraged. Be strong and courageous today. Come on. We got to rise up and decide that that we're not okay with these things anymore. We got to rise up and decide that we're not going to stay the way that we walked into this room. That we're not, our our lives are not going to look the same when we leave because we get to choose. We, we have the power to choose. It's the same message again and again. The Lord is saying, look, you're not waiting on me. I'm waiting on you to step up and realize who you are. I've already, I've already delivered you. Now I'm telling you, put him to death. And he doesn't call you to do something that you can't do. That's not who God is. He's saying you put them to death. In Joshua 10, 26, this is what the Lord says. This is what the Lord will do to all the enemies you're going to, to fight. How many of the enemies? Oh. What about that one issue that you struggle with? All of them. What about that one thing that you just can't seem to get past? That one thing that's just too hard? All of them. God doesn't care. He's going to fight for you. Then Joshua struck and killed the kings and hung them on five trees. And they were left hanging there until evening. Come on. Joshua didn't stop at identifying what was hiding. He didn't stop at at just identifying the kings. He went after them. And when it was something that, that, that 
he needed to be encouraged about, when there was something that they needed to take a step in faith in, he did it because he knew who he was. He knew that, that he had been called to the same work that Moses had been called to. And Moses had been called to the same work that Abraham had been called to. We're called to the same work that Jesus shed his blood to do, to destroy the work of the enemies that we start in our very own lives. So, so we're, we're getting ready to close. Matter of fact, y'all, y'all go ahead and stand up. We're, we're getting ready to close. And you have to ask yourself, what, what do I need to put my foot on today? What do I need to take captive today and put to death and throw it in the cave? Because as Pastor Wade is going to tell us, when you do that, you leave a, a, a stone of remembrance for all the world to see. Amen. Joshua didn't just call them out of the cave. He had long since identified where they were. He didn't just call them out of the cave. He didn't just have everybody come around so they would feel good by putting a foot on the neck of another man. Five kings, as a matter of fact. That's not where he stopped. He took them out and put them to death. And then he put their lifeless body on poles so that others could see. This is what's going to happen to all the enemies that I face. I may have taken care of these five today, but all the rest of the enemies, I'm going to take care of you too. And here is the testimony. What I did here today, I'll do to the rest of them. In verse 7, at sunset, Joshua gave the order, and they took the bodies down from the trees, then threw them into the cave where they had been hiding. At the mouth of the cave, they placed large rocks, which are there to this day. You know those areas in your life that have been hiding these kings of chaos, these kings of sinful kingdoms? Today, we're going to turn those hiding places into tombs. Those things that you've just been hiding, that's going to become that place where that very thing dies today. You're going to call it out. We're going to put your foot on the neck of the enemy. Every man and every woman in this place today. The goal that we have is that the stones that you have in your pocket are always getting turned into burial tombs. Burial stones that will put your enemies under, never to be again. At the mouth of the cave, they place large rocks, which are what? There to this day. Which day is that? This day. The victories that Joshua won on that day lasted to this day. See, if you keep having reoccurring problems, you know what it means? You haven't put it to death yet. God is demanding that we step away from our pride, that we step away from these kings that are causing chaos in our lives, and that we put these things to death, because that is our Father's kingdom. I can't help but read this passage and think about what's happening at the crucifixion. Because Jesus... With his power and his authority, he removed the stone that was covering his tomb. You can now cover over these sinful kingdoms and these sinful kings that have been at work in your life. Pray with me now. Mighty God, help us today to push away from the things that have been ongoing, that we've been okay with. Lord, may your conviction fall upon this room, upon each and every man and each and every woman. Do not let sin remain in this house any longer, Lord. 
the arrogance, the pride. Making monuments to ourselves, Lord. Correct us now, Lord. We are now identifying what cave these things are in. Let us put them to death today. That every man and every woman might have the victorious feeling and the the victory here today, Lord, of putting their foot on the neck of the enemy. Let us put them to death now in every way, Lord, in every possible way that we will put them to death, that we can roll the stone over the tomb, that hiding place that has now become a tomb. Even to this day, Lord, that the victory in you will be an everlasting victory. That success will be an everlasting success in you. Lord, that we might watch your hand fall in judgment against our enemies. That they may be routed in this place today. In Jesus' name. crowds of people and the priests to sing your praise Lord I hunger and I thirst for your righteousness and it's only found in one place take me into the holy holy and take me in by the blood of the Take me into the holy holies. Take the cord, touch my lips, here I am. Take me past the outer court into the holy place. The brazen altar, Lord, I want to see your face. Pass me by the crowds of people and the priests to sing your praise. Lord, I hunger and I thirst for your righteousness, and it's only found in one place. Take me into the holy of
chapter 10 didn't end there was it a continuation of victory for them to put the kings to death yes was it a continuation of victory to take their dead bodies and throw them back in the grave and seal it up yes did they stop at that point though no not not at all what we are being challenged with 
in this message and for the past couple of weeks, and I'm sure for many more weeks to come, is that we're not going to identify what those kings of our flesh are. We're to put them to death. We're to throw them in the tomb and seal it up and let them be utterly crushed beneath our feet. But you know what we're going to do? We'll wake up tomorrow and we're going to get some more. We're going to go pursue our enemies. Let me pick up with verse 28 and chapter 10. That day, everybody say that day. Yeah. That day Joshua took Machedah. This is the village of the shepherds. Come on, when you begin to put to death the kings of your flesh, you then can shepherd what God has given you rightly. You begin to take possession back in that ability to nourish, feed, and anoint the heads of those that God's put underneath you. He put the city and its king to the sword and totally destroyed everyone in it. He left no survivors. Say no survivors. And he did to the king of Machedah as he had done to the king of Jericho. Well, we continue on. Then Joshua and all Israel with him moved on from Machedah to Libna and attacked it. He went after another city, guys. The Lord also gave that city and its king into Israel's hand. The city and everyone in it, Joshua put to the sword. He left no survivors there. And he did to its king as he had done to the king of Jericho. Come on, that salvation victory. When you cross the Jordan, the waters of death, you've been liberated from Egypt. You may even be that second generation or many more that have now become obedient to the voice of the Lord. And you're walking in obedience by pursuing your enemies, pursuing your sinful nature, and then going out and liberating others that are captive to their sinful nature. There's more to do, saints. There's more to do. Tomorrow morning, you know what you're going to do? You're going to wake up, and you're going to say, Lord, open my eyes. Are there any kings still alive inside of me? I'm going to take out your sword, and I'm going to run it through them. And I'm going to watch my sinful nature die the first thing in the morning. And I'm going to rise to the divine nature that you put inside of me. Come on, let's read Micah 7, 8 to begin to close this out. This is a scripture that has blessed us for decades. You know why? Because sometimes we don't feel victorious. Sometimes we recognize as the Holy Spirit reveals to us that we've left some kings alive inside of a cave. We've been slipping them some crackers and coke. We've been letting them be entertained for a little while. Out of sight and out of mind. Then the Lord convicts our hearts and we run the word of God through that area of sinful nature. And we read this verse. Do not gloat over me, my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will rise. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. We champion this because this is that tip of the sword that annihilates despair. It annihilates the effects of the sinful nature having some kingship in your life. Rise up in the name of Jesus. Rise up, walk in His presence, walk in His light. What you feel right here, you can have tomorrow morning, the next, and the next, and the next day to come. Walk in victory in the name of Jesus.